0: Welcome back, it's TJ, the Weirdo with a Beardo for Wings 93, with more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. In this week's True Crime Tuesday, episode number 68, we continue the shocking and gruesome story of Candace Montgomery, the killer housewife. When we last left off, Candace Candy Montgomery and her husband married and moved into their dream home in the rich Dallas suburb of Wiley, Texas in 1977. Candy was a homemaker and mother of two. Her husband, Pat, was an electrical engineer at Texas Instruments. Now, Candy and Pat seemed to have it all. A good, steady income, a big, fancy house in a fancy neighborhood, nice cars, two beautiful children. They were the picture-perfect family. Even Candy herself was a loving mother, a devoted wife, and loved by virtually everyone she met, thanks to her magnetic personality. Candy and Pat were also devout Christians and an avid churchgoers who regularly attended the local Methodist church. That's where they met Alan and Betty Gore. Alan was an engineer. Betty was a middle school English teacher. That was until their first baby arrived, when Betty became a stay-at-home mother. After their daughter was born, Betty never seemed to regain her happiness and was later diagnosed with postpartum depression, which became even worse after the birth of their second child. Betty continued to slip deeper and deeper into her depression, and the couple's marital relations became non-existent. Meanwhile, Candy Montgomery, who was only in her late 20s at the time, became increasingly frustrated with her husband Pat and his work schedule. She was starved for love and attention, and Pat was constantly working, and when he was home, their love life had become stale and uninteresting, so Candy was looking to spice things up. One evening at a church volleyball game in the summer of 1978, she noticed Alan Gore. Now, the two had known each other for quite some time. They had gone to the same church, and their children had become best friends. But this was the first time Candy had noticed Alan in a sexual way. And after several weeks of flirting, Candy propositioned Alan to an affair. Even though neither one of them were happy in their marriages, each admitted they did not want to hurt their partners by cheating on them, and that the affair was only for sexual purposes. And after firmly laying some ground rules, the two began seeing each other for lunchtime lovemaking sessions at a local motel in December 1978. Candy would make lunch. The two would then eat, make love, then talk about their children and their spouses. They would both then shower before Alan returned to work and Candy returned home. Their secret rendezvous made them feel alive, adventurous, and sexually empowered. After nearly three months, Candy suggested calling things off. She told Alan she thought of him too often and was getting too wrapped up in their activities. They had previously agreed to call it quits if one of them had started to get too attached, and maybe the two of them did begin to develop true feelings for one another, or maybe it was just a preemptive decision. Either way, they both agreed to call things off. Flash forward six or seven months after the affair had ended, on the morning of June 13, 1980, while Candy's husband Pat was out of town and Alan Gore was at work, Candy was scheduled to pick up Betty and Alan's oldest daughter, Elisa, from Vacation Bible School, but first had to visit the Gores' home to pick up Elisa's bathing suit. Soon after her visit to the Gores' house, Candy Montgomery found herself driving in her car, reaching down and realizing her pants were soaking wet, and noticed the overwhelming scent of fabric softener. She then soon realized her toe was throbbing in pain, but convinced herself she'd simply cut it on their broken storm door. Meanwhile, Alan Gore was out of town on business and tried to contact Betty several times to check in, but Betty never picked up the phone. After several hours and multiple tries with no response, Alan asked several neighbors to check on Betty. So Richard Parker, along with two other neighbors, visited the home and found the front door unlocked. When they entered the home, it was eerily silent beside the cries of Gore's newborn daughter, Bethany, who was still in her crib. The men searched the house for signs of Betty until they noticed the door to the utility room was open and nothing prepared any of the men for what they saw next. There in the utility room was Betty Gore's body, soaked in blood and so savagely beaten that she was hardly recognizable. It was clear that Betty had been murdered. But by who? At first it was suggested that Betty may have been shot because of her condition, but upon further examination, Investigators determined the murder weapon, which laid several feet from Betty's body, was a three-foot-long axe, covered in blood. Meanwhile, back in her car, Candy Montgomery could hardly recall the events leading up to her pants being wet and how she ended up in her vehicle. Uncertain of what had just happened, Candy went home, took a shower, where she then realized she had a cut on her forehead. She then bandaged up her injured toe and put the clothes she'd been wearing in the washing machine she was ready to pick up Elisa from vacation Bible school. When she arrived at the church, she had recounted the story that she had told herself several times, that she had went to Betty's and they had gotten to talking. She then looked at her watch and thought she had time to go to Target and get Father's Day cards and drove all the way to Plano, Texas. But when she got there, realized her watch had stopped and that she was late, so she didn't even go in. She just turned around and drove home. Candy then picked up Elisa from the church And then went home to let the kids play in the pool. They had plans later that evening to go to the movies to see the new Star Wars film. Now Pat and Candy were in bed when the call came. It was Alan. Alan told Candy that Betty was dead, of a possible gunshot, and that since she had seen Betty earlier in the day to get Elisa's swimsuit, the police would most likely eventually want to speak with her. In the meantime, police tried to piece together the evidence, determining that Betty's body had been struck forty one times with an axe something that would have taken an incredible amount of strength and stamina. Detectives described the scene as something out of a horror movie. The investigation also found a bloody footprint on the floor of the Gore's utility room, which quickly became the most important piece of evidence, along with a bloody thumbprint on a freezer also in the utility room. Police would eventually question Candy Montgomery several times, and every time, her story was the same. She seemed to have a rock-solid alibi and no cause to harm Betty Gore. That was until Alan Gore admitted that he and Candy had ended their nearly year-long affair just seven months before Betty's death, which then made Candy prime suspect number one. Police eventually charged Candy Montgomery with murder in connection with Betty Gore's death, and initially, Candy denied any connection to the murder, until a hypnosis session revealed the details of the vicious altercation between the two women. While under hypnosis, at the suggestion of her attorney, Candy recounted that she and Betty did get into an argument. Candy admitted that she hated Betty and that Betty had messed up her whole life. The session also uncovered a distant memory of Candy and her mother when Candy was just four years old, a young girl, at a hospital when her mother shushed her, which would later become the source of incredible anger, sometimes triggering Candy into intense fits of uncontrolled rage. Now, by October 1980, Betty Gore's murder trial began, and Candy Montgomery, along with her attorney, Don Crowder, shocked the entire courtroom by suggesting Betty's death was in self-defense. During Candy's testimony, she confessed that Betty had confronted her, asking point blank if she and Allen were having an affair. Candy then admitted that she had been having an affair, but it had been over for nearly seven months. Then, according to Candy, Betty appeared with a long-handled axe and warned Candy never to see Alan again. Soon after, Betty erupted in a fit of rage, shoving Candy into the utility room. That's when Betty allegedly grabbed the axe out of the garage and convinced Candy wished to continue her affair with Alan, and an all-out brawl ensued, with both women fighting over the axe. During the scuffle, Candy struck Betty in the head with the axe, causing a nasty gash. The women continued to fight, slipping on a blood-covered linoleum floor, Until Betty uttered the word, shh, which from her traumatic childhood experience sent Candy Montgomery into an uncontrolled fit of rage. Wrestling the axe away from Betty Gore, raising it high above her head and bringing it down with all of her might. And continued to do so until Candy's body gave out from exhaustion. Forty-one blows in total. Candy admitted in the courtroom that she no longer had feelings for Alan Gore and that she never meant to hurt Betty or her family. She never harbored any ill will towards Betty and had no intention of hurting her during her visit, let alone killing her. Candy stated that Betty came after her and that she was fighting for her life, and that Betty's death was, in fact, self-defense. Even the psychiatrist who hypnotized Candy testified that she had experienced what was known as a disassociative event, meaning that the fight with Betty Gore triggered a reaction making Candy unaware of her actions, essentially blacking out in a fit of blind rage without any recollection of what actually happened during that time. And after hearing the closing arguments and spending over four and a half hours in deliberation, the jury came to a decision and found Candy Montgomery not guilty of murder. The verdict caused public outrage. How could someone viciously attack and murder another and simply walk away, even if it was self-defense? Betty's widow, Alan Gore, left Texas and remarried, losing custody of his children to Betty's parents. He'd since divorced in the last known whereabouts Liz, living in Sarasota, Florida, and has reportedly reconnected with his daughters. Following the trial, Candy and her husband moved to Georgia and later divorced. Candy is still alive now aged in her 70s, and goes by the last name Wheeler. And sources say she became, of all things, a mental health counselor, working with teens and adults who suffer from depression. And that is this week's True Crime Tuesday story, the finale of the story of Candy Montgomery, the killer housewife. Join me each week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next time.